welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he meditates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to, to bless our time together. Father, we, we gather as your grateful people, and uh, Lord, we ask you to speak to us. And I was just thinking this morning about your son's first miracle as he turned water into wine at that wedding, and just what that says about your intentions with us that you've come to bring us joy, you've come to replace our sorrow with gladness, and uh, you've come to make all things new, just as you created in the beginning. You're about new creation even now in your people and then with the whole world. And so we just pray, Lord, this morning that you would turn the water of our efforts here into wine for your people. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, make something great of this gathering, Lord, as we gather in weakness and we uh, intend to serve your people. We just pray, Lord, that you would turn water to wine, that you would replace sorrow with gladness, that you would be about your new creation, Lord. And, Lord, this is something only you can do. We're entirely dependent on you. We give you all the glory for any fruit that comes from it, Lord. We pray you give all glory to your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we said before, this book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is better He's better. He's better than anything you might want to leave him for. 
And uh, this book was actually written to some Jewish Christians who were being persecuted, and there was a real temptation on their part to return to Judaism. Life would be easier. And what the writer says is Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything that you're going to find in Judaism. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the priests. And in this second half of Hebrews 8, we're going to see that Jesus brings them a better covenant than they had before. So Jesus brings a better covenant with better promises. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Take a look at verse 6. It says, As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better because it's enacted on better promises. So Jesus brings a better covenant. And one question you might have is, what's a covenant? I think that that's a word that we don't use a whole lot anymore. But uh, you can see in verse 6, covenants have to do with promises. So covenant is a legally binding set of promises. It binds two parties together. Marriage would be the most common covenant we could think of legally binding promises. And throughout history, God has revealed himself through a series of covenants, right? There's a covenant to, to Adam, covenant to Noah, covenant to Abraham, covenant to David, Moses, and then David, and then the new covenant. And all these covenants, guys, are actually manifestations of one covenant of grace. So God has this one covenant of grace that he's revealing over the centuries throughout Scripture to his people. Because you see, back in the garden, God made a covenant of works with Adam. And you can see it was a covenant of works because it was like, if you obey, you live. If you disobey, you die. It's a covenant of works, right? There's no grace there. That's a works covenant. And uh, we know what happened. Adam disobeyed. Death entered the world. Adam failed to keep that covenant. We've been dealing with that mess ever since, right? We're not innocent in it, but we've been dealing with that mess ever since. But that day, it's really cool. On that day that Adam failed and death entered the world, God made another promise. He made this this covenant of grace promise. And it was about this like mysterious redeemer that would come. He didn't give a lot of detail, but he said someday the seed of the woman's going to be born that's going to crush the head of the serpent in very cryptic language. Um, God promised a redeemer that was going to come to save us from sin and death. And that's the beginning of the covenant of grace. And so there's this one covenant of grace from that point till now, and it's revealed in successive covenants. Like you think about Abraham, God comes to Abraham, he promises him he's going to make him a great nation, give him descendants he can't count, and that one of his descendants is going to bless the whole world. That gives us a little bit of insight, right, into that mysterious Redeemer promise in Genesis 3. He's going to be descendant of Abraham. He's going to have a people. He's going to have a, a, a land. It's going to be much bigger than the one he promised to Abraham. Um, a little bit later, you see a covenant that he makes with Moses, and we're going to look at that today with all the legal demands. What does that show us? That shows us our need for that Redeemer that was promised in Genesis 3. As they kind of live under the weight of that Mosaic covenant and its demands, they, they learn that they need a Redeemer. They need a covenant of grace, not a covenant of works, right? A little bit later, there's a covenant made with David. Promises there'll be a king that's born from David's line that will reign forever. Um, adds a little bit more to that mysterious Redeemer, right? Now that we know he's a He's a, he's a child of Abraham, he's a descendant of Abraham, he's you know, a land and a people, right? And then from the Davidic promise, we, we realize he's going to be a king that's going to reign forever. So we're learning more and more things as the covenant of grace unfolds through all these covenants. Well, Jesus brought the better covenant. We see that in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So it's better. It's a better covenant. The new covenant's a better covenant. 
New covenant's a better covenant than what, though? What covenant is it better than? You say, well, it's better than the old covenant. They're all old. Okay, that doesn't really help us. Which covenant is the new covenant being contrasted to here? You know, which, which particular covenant that I mentioned? And we can see a hint of it in verse 9. He says that the new covenant is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I to- took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Which covenant is that? Mosaic covenant. So the new covenant is better than the Mosaic covenant. You guys remember the Mosaic covenant? God's people are um, in Egypt for 400 years um, as slaves. God sends Moses to get him out. Pharaoh says no. Ten plagues ensue to like kind of break him down until he would let him go. The final plague is the death of the firstborn. The, the, the death of every firstborn son would occur on this particular night. The angel of death was going to kill them all. And before he sent that plague, right, he told his people to slaughter the Passover lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of their homes so that that angel of death wouldn't uh, invade the homes of those who had the blood of the lamb above their homes. And he spared the Israelite um, firstborn sons. Pharaoh finally lets him go. Then he changes his mind. He wants his slaves back. He pursues them. Um, God parts the Red Sea. They go on dry land. When the Egyptians try to come, the sea drowns them, right? They're led through the wilderness by God with a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. It's just amazing, right? He feeds them with manna from bread from heaven. He gives them water from a rock. He finally brings them to Mount Sinai, and then he gives them his law. And the law there was meant to be a way for Israel to respond in love and gratitude for the grace of God, right? So God saved them by grace from from Egypt, and then he gives them a law as a way to respond in gratitude. And um, it wasn't that, you know, that God came to him in Egypt and said, hey, here's the law. If you keep it, I'll get you out of here. No, he saved them by grace and then gives them the law to respond. And that law was the Mosaic Covenant. And that Mosaic Covenant was, was always meant to be temporary, okay? And we can see that in verses 7 through 8. He's quoting Jeremiah here. So it's kind of a Russian nesting doll here. So let me just explain. You've got the writer of Hebrews, and he's about to quote Jeremiah 31, which was 600 years earlier, 600 years before Christ, okay? So he's about to quote Jeremiah 31. And what he's going to say in this quote, I'll just set it up, is he's going to say that Jeremiah living 600 years B.C. was already talking about a new covenant. So it's obvious that the Mosaic Covenant wasn't meant to last. So he's already talking about a replacement, right? Let me read it. Verse 7. For if the first covenant, Mosaic, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second new covenant. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so he's saying, like, you know, obviously, if Jeremiah is prophesying this thing, it, it shows that God was always intending for the Mosaic covenant to end and the new covenant to come. And then he says something even more shocking at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 13. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, Jeremiah speaking of it, he makes the first one, the Mosaic, obsolete. And what is obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. The Mosaic covenant was obsolete. Its purpose has already passed. Are you guys familiar with a term called uh, planned obsolescence? You know what that is? It's a very aggravating thing, actually. So in business, it's you make products that don't last. And you make them so they don't last so people have to buy new ones, right? Very frustrating. If it's your phone or your car or something like that, this was planned obsolescence. The Mosaic Covenant, though, was planned obsolescence. But God told us ahead of time, okay, that he was going to send a new covenant. It was planned obsolescence. 
So what was the purpose of it? What was the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant? Well, Mosaic Covenant had a lot of purposes, but the one in this passage that's important is the Mosaic Covenant, that law covenant, showed us our need for the new covenant. Mosaic Covenant showed us our need for the new covenant. All those laws, you you read them, 600 and something laws, right, in the Mosaic Covenant were meant to show the people they needed grace. It was meant to show them that they couldn't keep the law, they needed grace. In in verse uh, 7, he says that the Mosaic Covenant was faulty, but in 8, he explains where the fault lied. He says in verse 8, he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll establish a new covenant. The fault was not so much in the covenant. The covenant did what it was supposed to do, show us our need for Christ. The fault was in the people. They couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep those laws. And I think if you guys have been through a Bible reading plan, and that's the part you start having a lot of trouble, and you read all these laws, and you think like, I don't think I could live like that. Okay? No one can live like that. Okay? That's the point. We can't keep the law. And God showed them they couldn't keep the law in a really graphic way. So the Mosaic Covenant was interesting because it had earthly blessings and earthly curses. So if you, if you were obedient, if the nation was obedient, they received earthly blessings, like their crops bloomed and they weren't invaded and everybody's having a good time, right? And if they were disobedient, they got earthly curses, you know, they'd have famine, their cattle would die off, they'd be invaded by their neighbors. It was a very graphic way of seeing, how are we doing? Like, you could know how we were doing by just looking outside. It'd be like, everything's on fire, you know, I'm not talking about now, although, you know, well. Um, everything was on fire, people are invading, all of our cattle are dead. We kind of have a sense like, Lord, did we blow it somewhere, right? It's very graphic, it was very obvious. And by the time of Jeremiah, which is 800 years into this Mosaic Covenant thing, the people were just reaping curses. <laughs> the nation was divided in half. Um, there was an invasion coming. Uh, half of it had already been taken over by Assyria, and then Babylon was going to take over. And then there were going to be sieges and starvation. And you can hear the things that Jeremiah talks about, like in the Book of Lamentations, of like people eating their own children. I mean, it got bad. You're like, things are bad now. No, this was bad, bad, okay? And then soon exile, and they knew they were going to be in exile for 70 years. Verse 9 explains what was going on. Look at the second half of it. It says, they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no regard for them, declares the Lord. What is that? It's the covenant curses. The nation was absorbing all these covenant curses just as God had promised. This was foretold ahead of time. And he was showing them just graphically. And to show us graphically, when you book, read the book of Lamentations and stuff, and you're like, what is this here? This is to show us that we need a covenant of grace. A covenant of works is just going to lead to tons of curses. And into all that darkness, guys, so this is 600 B.C., God speaks through Jeremiah these beautiful promises. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Can you imagine how good a news that is? When your whole nation's on fire and being invaded and people are starving, and he's like, he's like, this isn't everything. I've got a, another covenant I'm going to make with you guys, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. How amazing is that? Amazing is that news, right? Notice who God makes these better promises to. He makes these better new covenant promises to. Who do you make them to? The ones who broke the old covenant. 
the covenant breakers. These are promises for covenant breakers. It wasn't like he came and he found the good guys in the nation and was like, hey, you guys, good job. I got a good covenant for you guys. No, he came to the whole people who were disobedient covenant breakers and said, I have a new covenant. Take this new covenant. And you might be in a situation not exactly like theirs, but you might in some way relate to Israel's situation in this. You might be at a place like they were, 600 B.C., at the end of your rope, right? At a place where, you know, you've known God's law and you know you've broken it and you're experiencing all sorts of earthly consequences for sin, just one thing after another. And you just like, look at the mess that sin is making in your life and you might wonder if there's any hope for you. And the good news is, is that God's speaking these beautiful promises to you this morning. These are promises for covenant breakers. And so what are the better promises that Jesus brings? You know, so these are the better promises that Jesus brings. Now keep in mind, the, the promise that the Mosaic Covenant gives is, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. Okay, those are the promises. I feel like they're not hard to compete with. But these are better promises, okay? And here are the better promises of the New Covenant. New Covenant's better because it promises you a new life. Look at verse 10. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. This is so cool. So the new covenant is unlike the Mosaic covenant because God's law gets put in our hearts. Okay? In the Mosaic covenant, God gave the law on tablets of stone. In the new covenant, God puts his law in our hearts. In our hearts. The Mosaic covenant gave God's people the law, but it didn't give them the power to do it. And the reason why they couldn't do it is because it wasn't in their hearts to do it. You know, when you speak about something in your heart, you mean that it's, it comports with your desires, that it's something that flows within you. We live out of our hearts, and God's law just was not in their hearts. And what's amazing about the new covenant is he puts the law in our hearts. And this reminds us of something that's really important, guys, which is the law doesn't have the power to change you. It doesn't have the power to change you. Just memorizing the law a little bit more will not change you. It didn't change them. Just knowing the law will never give you the power to change. The law only can show you where you need to change. The law can't change you. Sometimes we have this mistake and we think, you know, I need to change this in my life and all I need to do is just focus more and more on the law. And it's like, well, once you've read it once, you kind of know what you're supposed to do. It can't change you though. The law is like, the law is like train tracks. The law shows you where you need to go but it can't push you there, right? It just shows you where change is needed. It can't change you. Only the Spirit-empowered gospel has the power to change us. Isn't that amazing? And we've experienced that, right? It's the, it's the Spirit-empowered gospel in our hearts that is the locomotive, right, that pushes us along the tracks that God has for us. That's where the power comes from. The power comes from seeing the grace of God in the gospel. And as the Spirit inflames our hearts to that, as we see God's love for us in the gospel, then we actually start to want to do the things God's commanded. Have you guys noticed that? Like the more and more you see his love, the more and more you see the gospel, the more and more you're like, you know what? I think I want to follow him. I think I want to respond in gratitude. I think I want to respond in obedience. In, in verse 10, it says that he puts his law in our minds and writes them on our hearts. Guys, it's only joy in the gospel that's like that internal combustion that will give you the desire and the drive to follow God. It's only going to be looking at the gospel. It's not going to be just looking at the law. The law can't give that to you. Um, the, the, it's joy in the gospel that's that internal combustion. It's those little explosions as we see the gospel and the love of God. 
for us, that the Spirit causes us to want to do the things He wants us to do. I mean, that's where your want to comes from. I mean, if this morning your want to is kind of weak, you know, you want to power up your want to, what you need to do is you need to look at the love of God for you in Christ and then ask the Spirit to just light that up, right? That's the fuel. Just ask the Spirit to light that up. You know, Jesus made some really wild claims about this whole thing. He said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he says this, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Has anybody ever read that passage and thought, really? You know, you read the Gospels and you see the things that, that Christ is leading us to do and the ways he's leading us to change, and you ever think like, well, that looks easy and light. You're like, really? Really? Or his best friend John said this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You think, really? Really? That's something the New Covenant Gospel does. His commandments no longer are something outside of us. There's something he's written in our hearts, and we actually want to do the things he's commanded. You know, the, that's what makes the yoke easy and the burden is light, is when the Spirit causes the Gospel just to inflame our hearts, so we're like, yes, I want the things you want. Suddenly his commandments are no longer seem burdensome, they're our delight. And I don't want to paint like an easy picture. You still got to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So it's not like you're like, hey, I want to do it and I can do it. You're still going to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the difference is in the new covenant, what you're experiencing when you, when you hear the gospel afresh is you want to do it. And the fact that you want to do it, that's the grace of God in your life. And that's huge. It's huge. You know, you might feel really beat down by your sin this week. You might feel like you had a lot of temptations and you haven't done that great, okay? World and flesh and the devil just, you know, got you in the circle and just pounded you today. But the thing is, you want to do the things he's commanded. And you know what? There aren't a ton of people out there that want to do the things Christ has commanded. You know? It's evidence of God's grace in your life. So he gives us a new life. He gives us new intimacy with God. Take a look at verse 10. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. One thing to just make a note of, you know when it says, I'll be their God and they'll be my people? That's common covenantal language. It's in the covenant to Abraham. It's in the Mosaic covenant, right? Just reminds us that God's got this one covenant of grace thing he's doing. But there's a new intimacy. The, the new covenant promises a whole other layer, level of intimacy with God. And not just a new ability to follow him, but a, a new ability to know him. You know? Because you're not his employee, by the way. Right? You're his son or daughter. And, and the new covenant gives you an ability to really know him. And you he, and he might think, well, what about the Mosaic covenant people? Like, they didn't know him? They knew him, but their relationship was super mediated, wasn't it? Like, they couldn't go in the temple, right? And they had all these layers of priests. It just seems like a lot of bureaucracy, right? A lot of red tape. Like, I want to see God. It's like, all right, we'll see this guy, and he'll see that guy, and we'll get your message to him. You know, it just seems so heavily mediated. The new covenant is a whole other level of closeness with God. You remember the disciples, after they spent years with Jesus, he promised them, he goes, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the Spirit to live in you so that you're going to have God's very presence in you. You know, this is God's heart for you, by the way. His heart for you is that you would know him in a way you haven't known him before, that you have an intimacy with him, that you would know him as a friend, that you would know him as a father. The whole story of redemption is like this, right? So 
Um, God's like showing this the whole time. He puts them in the garden and he dwells with them, right? And then they sin and then they get exiled from the garden. And then God's like, I'm going to still get close to these people. And then the tabernacle, right? And then they have God's presence in the tabernacle in the temple and they, they live in the promised land with him. And then they sin and they, they get exiled, right? And then God's like, I'm going to still come after these people. And then he comes back and he comes, he, John says he tabernacles in Jesus Christ, right? So, so God himself comes in Christ to be with him again. He keeps saying, like, hey, here I am again, you know? Like, we're just, like, constantly rebelling. He's like, I'm back, you know? He's constantly wanting to get close to his people. And then what happens then? Well, instead of us sinning and getting exiled again, what happens? Jesus on the cross gets exiled for us so that we get to keep his presence with us by the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So it doesn't become this vicious cycle of, like, draws near and then sin and exile. And draws near and sin and exile. What Jesus does is he becomes the one who gets exiled for us on the cross, and then he dwells with us forever in his spirit. So in the new covenant, Jesus promises this new level of intimacy with God that would have been unknown by most Mosaic covenant believers. Okay? This is in verse 11. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. If you're in Christ, you know him, Right? Even if you feel kind of distant right now, even if you feel like you haven't really made much of this promise, like you do know him. You do know him. And you can know him more. I just want to encourage you on this passage. I always think, let's not live like Mosaic Covenant believers, right? Somehow we have this heavily mediated experience. We don't, guys. Jesus is our only mediator. He intercedes for us all the time. The Spirit dwells in us, with us, God in us all the time. And the Father is eager to enjoy fellowship with us. God is available anytime. And I know this seems like a very basic thing to say, but God is available anytime, anywhere, in a way that's new to what they were experiencing. Like, so you could just, like, you could just find a place, quiet place, or you could put in noise-canceling earbuds if you don't have a quiet place. You could just open the word and God will speak to you and he will speak to you through his word in a way that's, that's it's a new covenant reality, right? To just have his word and hear from him. You could simply like this afternoon, go on a prayer walk, you know, somewhere where you can talk out loud and speak to God and just know he's hearing you and feel his presence. Any of you guys prayer walkers? You want a prayer walker? Okay, like you can look crazy. But if you put earbuds in, people think you're on the phone. So it's totally cool. We got advantages. But like a prayer walk's amazing, right? I just discovered the prayer walk like, I don't know, a couple years ago or something. Because I noticed that like for some reason my prayer muscles are attached to my leg muscles, which is really weird. So like I can pray for like a whole three and a half minutes sitting in a chair. But if I walk, it's like, whoa, this must be like the relationship you all have with the Lord. I'm like, oh, this is what prayer is like. But anyway, I recommend the prayer walk. Not in the middle of the day. You could die. But the Spirit, he, he lives in us, God himself living in us. Your body is now the meeting place between heaven and earth. So you have the access. There's no doubt about it. So promises, new life, new intimacy, and then a new confidence. I really love this. There's a new confidence with God. New confidence, you're forgiven. New confidence to approach God. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Okay, take a good look at that last part of that verse because we're going to do that, okay? Believers under the Mosaic Covenant 
they were forgiven too, okay? They were trusting in the Messiah to come. They were, they were saved by covenant of grace, just like we are, right? They were saved by looking forward to Jesus' sacrificial death. Like, we're saved by looking back. They were saved by looking forward. And their, the shadows and the types of their sacrificial system was all the point forward to, like, God's going to pay this off, and he's going to do it through something like a lamb, and there's a redeemer coming, right? So they were saved by looking forward to Christ's sacrifice. We're saved by looking back. A way to think about it is the Mosaic Covenant believers, those who truly trusted in the Lord, they were forgiven as if like on a credit card, okay? So all their sin debt was going to be paid off later, okay? So all their sin debt's like being put on a credit card that Jesus would come and on the cross pay the tab, pay the debt, right? But any of you guys who have paid off a large debt know there's a big difference between hoping it's going to be paid off someday and seeing it paid off, right? Amen? Seeing it paid off is a huge relief. Here's the thing. With us in the New Covenant, we've seen it paid off, right? We saw how it was done. We've seen it. And so we have a whole other level of confidence, or we should have with God, knowing that we're forgiven. He says, I'll be merciful towards their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. I'll remember their sins no more. So what's that about? You know, like, God doesn't forget things, right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. This is a figure of speech. What does it mean? It means that God doesn't call your sins to mind when he thinks of you. Okay? It means that God does not think of your sins when he thinks of you. It means, if you're in Christ, it means that God has no negative associations with you. Do you believe that? He's not thinking, oh, that guy. Ugh, so many years of this. Right? No negative associations. Isn't that? I will remember their sins no more. Guys, God wants so badly for you to have confidence that your sins are forgiven. You say, well, I do. Well, let's see. Do you have confidence in that? He says here, I will remember their sins no more. In the psalm during our confession of sin, Psalm 32, he says it a different way. So he says, I remember it no more. And he says in Psalm 32, I've covered all your sin. He's like, I got it covered. It's covered up, right? He says in Psalm 32, I don't count your sin against you. You see how he's using all different ways to try and prove this to you? He's like, I don't remember it. I covered it up. I don't count it against you. It's like an accounting term. It's not in your balance, right? In Isaiah, he says, I wash it away, whiter than snow. I washed it away. So God says, I don't remember it. I don't count it against you. Um, I've covered it, and I've washed it away. And then in, in Micah, he's like, maybe that's not enough. Let me tell you one more thing. So I threw it in the depth of the sea. You know, it's like, if you need something like graphic, I took it, and these weren't seafaring people, by the way. So they're not like scuba diving and stuff. When something thrown in the depth of the sea, it's gone. They're not going after it, okay? He, I threw your sin in the depth of the sea. And then he goes, okay, like, I can still think you guys aren't getting it. So Isaiah 38 says, he goes, I put it behind my back. <laughs> Is that a funny one? It's like, I can't see it. It's back there somewhere, right? If you're in Christ this morning, God is saying to you, and listen, because he's, he's saying to you personally, if you're trusting in Christ, I don't remember your sin. I covered it up. I don't count it against you. I washed them all off of you. I cast them in the bottom of the sea. I put them by my back. And then he's probably saying, like, what else do I have to say, people? Right? And notice it's all, I took care of it, right? And notice that the one that says, I took care of your sin, is the judge. Right? Because you're like, I don't know how thorough that. Well, you're not the judge, okay? God's the judge. He said, I took care of it. He's saying, sure you took care of it? I'm the one that decides whether it's taken care of. It's gone, right? Isn't that beautiful? 
Guys, if you're in Christ, he remembers your sin no more. He's covered them up. He doesn't count them against you. He's washed them off of you. He's cast them in the bottom of the sea. He's put them behind his back. And then I love Psalm 103. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I driven your sins from you. So let's do a little bit of science. Um, how far is the north from the south? So there is a North Pole and a South Pole. How far? People are Googling. Uh, I don't. 12,436 miles. You might get a different number, but I checked. 12,436 miles from the north to the south. But that's not what he says, right? He says that your sins are as far as the east is from the west from you. How far is that? Yeah, we don't have a north and we don't have an east and west pole. <laughs> so it's an infinite distance, guys. What he's trying to say is as far as the east is from the west. That's how far your sin is from you. What he's saying is he's saying, I don't associate your sin with you. God says, I don't associate it with you. You say, well, there's this and this. I feel guilty about this. Did you repent of it? Did you confess it? Yeah. What are you doing brooding over it? God's like, I don't even associate that with you. Your sin is the furthest thing from God's mind when he thinks of you. That's what it says, east from the west. It's the furthest thing from his mind. And so here we are over confessed sin, repented of sin, and we're just like brooding over it. And God's like, what are you doing over there? I'm like, oh, I just feel really bad. And he's like, I don't even, it's the furthest thing from my mind. Isn't that amazing? The believers under the Mosaic Covenant, they didn't have that kind of confidence because unlike us, they hadn't seen how God did it. Because one more thing he says he did with our sin, Colossians 2 says, I've nailed your sin to the cross. That should do it, right? Like if your sin was nailed to Christ on the cross, I don't understand how it could possibly be on you. How could it be on you if it was on him? Guys, these are better promises. The Mosaic Covenant, obey and you'll be blessed, disobey and you'll be cursed. But the New Covenant, all grace, right? And so his point to these Jewish believers is, if you leave Jesus, all you have is a covenant of works. Right? And we've seen how that goes. The experiment was run hundreds of years. You ran it in your own life. We don't need to do it again. That's the same choice for us. It's either Christ or it's a covenant of works. And the cool thing is, guys, is that Jesus fulfilled the covenant of works to give us a covenant of pure grace. That covenant of works where it was do this and you will live, Jesus did it and he did live. Right? Uh, it says obey and you'll be blessed. He obeyed and got blessed. And you know what he did? He gave us his life and his blessings. Jesus came, he earned all the covenant blessings, and he gave them to us through his obedience. He earned all the covenant blessings and gave them to us. And then on the cross, he took all the covenant curses. You know, when you read in Deuteronomy, you read about all those covenant curses. Jesus took all those covenant curses for our disobedience. He, he earned the blessings, gave them to us, and then he took the curses that we deserve for our sin. You guys remember what Jesus said on the night before the cross, he said, uh, he said, likewise, the cup, after he'd eaten it, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As these promises, guys, are from a God who loves you so much that he bleed for you to have a new life, to have new intimacy with him, and to have that kind of confidence. You can approach God boldly because your sin's the furthest thing from his mind. So as we take the Lord's Supper, um, let's drink to that, right? Would you drink to that? Let's eat and drink to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these new covenant promises. We thank you for your just uh, amazing artistry in the covenant 
of grace and how you've unfolded it over centuries. But we're super happy to be at this end of it. We're super happy to be in this place, having seen what you did, having seen that you sent your son and seeing how you dealt so thoroughly with our sin and seeing you as that father and the prodigal son that you run to us with open arms. And Lord, we pray that we'd be stop being so stubborn and we repent of our sin. We'd even repent of our own righteousness that we think we have and that we'd run to you and just enjoy what you've done. You've done it all. We pray that we would just come to you, enjoy that grace, and just give our lives fully for it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.